Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I'm really excited to be joined by my guest, Sabrina Mirage Naeem, founder and principal of Echo Capital Group. Sabrina, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you and I have known each other for a very long time, and it has been really amazing to watch you evolve and build out this company. Can you give us just a snapshot of the background, origin story, all that good stuff about uh, Echo Capital Group? Yeah, absolutely. So I was in my previous life more involved in private equity. So we were investing um, kind of further down the line, uh, looking at larger companies that were ready for buyout. And I was traveling around the country, kind of getting the lay of the land, meeting other PE funds and investors, um, going to a ton of conferences. And it occurred to me at the time, which was now gosh, seven years ago, so it was already a different time in the investing world, um, that there was a very similar kind of pitch to investors, regardless of if they were earlier stage or later stage. They were saying things like, you know, we're industry agnostic, we're opportunistic. These guys were mostly finance guys, not a lot of um, operational experience, uh, not a lot of direct brand experience. And as great as it is to be able to, you know, bring capital to a company, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs were becoming more um, specific about the the capital providers that they were bringing onto their cap table. They really wanted more strategic and operational know how. They wanted partners that had um, industry specific expertise that they could lend, uh, and. This was, of course, at a time when there was a lot of dry powder. There was kind of a lot of cash flowing around. And uh, and so being able to write a big check was not so unique. It was more how can you – what else can you bring to the table? How can you be a real partner for growth? And I saw at the time a white space in terms of earlier stage operational strategic you know, partnering as a capital provider to these entrepreneurs who at the time, many of of them were millennials who, um, you know, were creating products for the very large millennial consumer demographic. And they understood, you know, what these consumers were looking for, why the values in which, you know, they they, uh, made their consumer purchase decisions and maybe they didn't have decades of operational expertise, but they did have that, you know, je ne sais quoi that would, <laughs> they, they brought, you know, to the entrepreneurial space. And we came with a lot of op- that operational expertise coming from, you know, a long history of, um, of operational food and beverage. Yeah, we've got uh, quite the pedigree in that world. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we, we decided to kind of turn that experience into how can we lend that knowledge to entrepreneurs who have something that we want to be able to partner with them, not just as a silent partner, but also as, you know, kind of a strategic growth partner yeah. um, to expand their brands and their businesses and Echo Capital Group was born from that. I love it. There's a couple of things I want to unpack there. One, I think timing-wise was so smart because seven years ago was when CPG started becoming a bit more sexy, specifically focused on the millennial markets, as you mentioned. So I think that you you saw 
a, a really important kind of uptick in growth and in interest and more importantly in spend, right? The millennial dollar was starting to become that much more powerful. And to your point earlier, um, you know, not a lot of people were focusing on as, uh, as people who were writing checks, what was different about them, right? So I think it was really two pieces. It was one focusing on that very millennial market. And as a millennial, you definitely understand that. Although I feel like you're not, I feel like you're like a millennial, but wise beyond your years. I've always felt that way about you. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> um, and so you saw, you know, the, the dollars, and then you also saw based on your background expertise and your, uh, your, your incredible pedigree in this world, specifically CPG and food and beverage, that you wanted to dig in and you could really help brands, um, not just give by giving them money, but to take them from point A to point Z and hopefully to a successful exit. So there was so much more, you're so much more involved with the companies that you take on, which also makes you a bit pickier about the ones that you get in bed with, um, I would assume, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I have to say, I mean, I think that that was a big frustration for me in the beginning was I was traveling around, going to conferences, talking to folks. And at the time, everyone and their mother was trying to figure out how do we capture this millennial consumer demographic because that was like the biggest spending power. And we're trying to figure out what makes them tick. And I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, but none of you are in that consumer demographic. You guys, right. you guys, you know, and this is maybe the unpopular thing to say, but it was kind of like a lot of older white guys. <laughs> not not <laughs> and, unpopular on this podcast. You right. Anything you want. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I was very often one of the few women in the room. I was always the youngest person in the room. And so people would kind of turn to me and say, hey, you, millennial, like, what what do your peers want? And I'm thinking, you guys just don't get it, you know? Yeah. So I was able to bring the insights of a young team with the operational experience of, you know, the, the pedigree that you're talking about, which was kind of a really, um, it, was, it was a valuable one-two punch. Um, and then in terms of how we invest, yeah, I mean, I think the the traditional model of VC is kind of throwing mud at the wall and hoping that something, uh, you know, sticks, you know, you're, yeah. if you, if you make Praying for Google, right, right. <laughs> you, if you make 10 investments, you know, you want that one superstar that's going to return your entire fund, hopefully two others that do well, like another one or two that are okay. And then everything else goes bust. Uh, and we really wanted to come with a different approach where we were a lot more intentional about who we get into bed with, with how, how we invest, because we want a much more, you know, a higher success rate than that. It just wasn't enough for us to say, um, you know, yeah, all right. So the majority of our fund is going to bust, but at least this one thing is going to return for everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Are, was, instead of that, like you win some, you lose some mentality. Yeah. You're like, I don't agree with that. No. We need to show up and be more effective with our dollars. Well, when you are putting also so much of your resource and manpower and time into, you know, build helping to build these brands and develop these relationships, that the time value of money of that alone is so it's high, right? So mm -hmm. for me to put all of that time and resource of my team into helping these entrepreneurs grow and then it just goes belly up, I mean, it's going to happen, right? There's no guarantee. But our desire is to have the best possible chance for us, for the, you know, the entrepreneurs, for the teams, for the shareholders, for everybody. And that yeah, inevitably takes a lot more than just, you know, being a silent partner, partner writing a check and sitting back and hoping for the best.
Totally. And so, you know, how much of that was kind of baked into your ethos and how much of that was evolved over time? Because I know that you, you had this moment in time where you saw how different you were and your team was than everyone else on the market, which I think also makes you stand out so dramatically in the space. But you're a woman, you, uh, you know, you, like you said, there's not a lot of women in your category. There's not a lot of young women in your category specifically. So did you intentionally bake that into the company? Or was that something that organically came about? Yeah, I would say it was actually very much baked into our ethos. And then the thing that's evolved over time was our um, becoming much more intentional about how we leverage our resources to our portfolio companies. Um, There are companies that we partner with who have a great board, a great team, you know, are a little later stage, their strategy is set, and we feel a lot more comfortable to say, you know what, you let us know if you need us. Otherwise, we're not interfering. You know, there's just maybe too many cooks in the kitchen, and we recognize that there are those times when we don't need to be involved with every little thing, and that's that's great, right? That's perfectly fine. As long as we feel really confident about who's running things, um, because, you know, making an investment is, to us, the, the recognition is it's a lot more about who you're investing in versus what you're investing in. Interesting. Um, that's a big conversation. It's like the jockey and the horse. Yeah. Speech, right? So you believe in the jockey, not the horse. Well, it's not that we don't believe in the horse. It's that we we believe that the horse can be, you know, the best possible horse. But if the jockey is garbage, then the horse isn't getting there. <laughs> you know? I mean, totally. we could we could find the most, you know, innovative, cutting edge, whatever possible product. But if the team behind it is not the right team, it's not going anywhere. Totally. That's 100% accurate, I believe. Um, We're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, I want to understand, I want the audience to understand when the right time to connect with someone like you is and what are some best practices and worst practices. I want to hear some of the horror stories too. So stay tuned. Hi, guys. Thanks for sticking with us. And if you are just tuning in, I'm chatting with my friend Sabrina Mirage Naim, who is the founder and principal of Echo Capital Group, which is a VC firm by millennials for millennials focused primarily in CPG food and beverage. That's really like, would you say 90% of the work you do or more or less? Yeah, maybe a little less, but it's it's our bread and butter, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> um, so before the break, we were talking about kind of like the history of the brand and why what you do is so different and valuable and how you really show up for your companies. What is the right time for a company to reach out to you? What does that look like? What, are the package, what does the package need to look like? And what are the differentiators that you're specifically looking for to say yes? Because you don't say yes very often. Yeah, yeah. So it, for us, there is a certain amount of um, traction and a concept that's being proven already that needs to have kind of been, been in place for a company to come to us. We're not angel. No investors. pre-revenue. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not pre-revenue. We're not angel investors. Um, we really are the kind of Series A, B, C type of investors, uh, and we we're looking at at least a million dollars of revenue before we're interested. Um, that kind of ebbs and flows given there are opportunities that kind of come to us with um, at different stages of growth. Sometimes, you know, we'll invest in a company that's already $30 million of revenue. And uh, the way that we 
perform for them, the way that we show up for them is different than the way that we would show up for a company that's $5 million in revenue. Sure. Um, yeah. Because they need more support. I mean, I would assume yeah, the smaller they are, the more operational uh, you know, power they need from you and your very experienced team. Right. And, and uh, you know, us saying yes less often means that we need to really be able to justify for ourselves how we're, and when we're going to leverage our resources to ensure that it makes sense for us, that it makes sense for the company, you know, that it's a marriage that we feel is a really, you know, solid marriage for the long haul. Um, we are not a traditional VC fund that has LPs that has a specific time horizon. We're a, a private VC fund, so we have a lot more flexibility in how and when we invest. Um, we like we kind of pride ourselves on the fact that we will never go to our entrepreneurs and say, "Okay, you know, time's running out. We need to return our funds. This is it. You know, exit." Mm -hmm. It's always based on the best time for that company for the shareholders. Um, so, you know, I would say that um, we have a lot more flexibility, but we are a lot more um, strategic about how we do it. Well, I think the flexibility piece is really important because from an entrepreneurial standpoint, the companies that you say yes to then don't feel, they feel the pressure because obviously they want to perform, right? We didn't get into this to not make money. But but the truth is, is to your point, the exits and the and the pushback from a lot of these other VC funds, ha they're on time horizons because of their LPs. And to have that luxury of not having to do that means that it's a right timing issue, which I think is so important to point out again, uh, which again is a huge differentiator uh, for your specific um, firm. Uh, tell us how does how do you like to see the pitch? Is there a best way to come in? Is it a ten page deck? Is it a what does that look like for you typically, or is there a typical approach? Yeah, I think it depends on the company, but I I can tell you that a big pet peeve of mine is when there's a company that that you know sends a pitch deck with fifty pages and. 30 of those are, let me tell you all about the industry and let me tell you about the, you know, growth potential and let me tell, and, and it's just like, be concise, you know, mm -hmm. show me what I really need to know. Um, don't fluff it's it. A taste. It's a taste, right? Exactly. Like, turn, turn me on, get me excited. And then we can dive into the nuance later. Right. But the, the most important thing to recognize is when you're pitching to experienced investors, they're going to take a lot of what's in your pitch deck kind of with a grain of salt, right? If you have a page that shows the forecast for revenue and growth for the next five years, that's usually pie in the sky. And I'm going to look totally. at that and I'm going to say, all right, let's reevaluate based on realistic expectations, based on my experience, based on what I'm seeing in the industry. If you're sending me a pitch deck that shows, you know, uh, tons of pages of resource on uh, and data on the industry. Assume that I generally know about the industry, <laughs> you know. So maybe some high level information on the, what's relevant to you, but um, but don't give me a ton of fluff. Just show me exactly what I need to know in order to be able to even decide if taking a conversation is worth it at that point. Right. Or maybe attach it as an exhibit so you can decide, do I actually want to read this? Don't mandate that I read this as part of the initial pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and what are some of like the big wow factors that you're looking for within those decks? 
So I want to know what you've achieved to date, right? I want to know who your team is. I want to know why I should trust you or them to um, put our funds. You have to understand that people um, people are investing their time and resources into this company, and it's personal. Even if it's mm-hmm. business, it's still personal. So mm-hmm. um, there's a, a big trust factor that needs to be um, – you know, considered and that needs to be communicated and acknowledged. So what have you achieved? Why should I care who you are um, and what you're asking for? That's something that a lot of uh, companies kind of forget about. There should definite, definitely be a slide in there that says, we're raising our series whatever. This is what we're hoping to raise. This is the valuation. Um, these are the term, the kind of high level general terms. If you don't have that yet, or if you're looking for a lead investor, that's okay. But show me what you've accomplished so that I know generally what to expect. Mm. Is it important that that deck include the use of funds? I like to see that even if it's very high level, you know, sometimes we'll see, um, even if it's not kind of a dollar amount allocated to each thing, generally the use of funds is marketing, hiring this person, you know, R&D, whatever. And then I can ask you more about that, right? I can drill in more, but it gives me a picture of what, what am I, what can I expect in terms of where my funds will go? If you're telling me we have debt that we need to, you know, pay off and your funds will go towards paying off my debt, I'm less interested in that, right? And and <laughs> investors need to know. Investors need mm-hmm. to know where their funds are going and how they're going to be used. Yeah, transparency is absolutely key. Um, I would love to hear some of like, I mean, not necessarily horror stories, but like some maybe funny moments or things where you were just like, are you fucking kidding me that this happened? I would love, because I'm sure, I mean, I know, I've known you a long time and I know that you have moments of that where people maybe don't take you seriously because you're a millennial and a woman and in this world or uh, moments where it's uh, like companies coming to you to pitch and they think they know better. Like what are some of the stories that you tell about, you know, your, your history in this space? Ah, uh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> I know they are. Yeah. You and I've had many glasses of rosé and chatted over the years. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, look, there's there are definitely some themes um that I that I've had to kind of deal with over the years, certainly the not being taken seriously by the older investors or the older entrepreneurs. There's some of that um it's something that I can quash relatively quickly given mm-hmm. I have been in this industry long enough. I know what I'm doing. I, you know, there's our portfolio speaks for itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, the whole like green behind the ears thing left a long time ago. But um, I would say the the biggest challenges that we've faced as a fund are um, kind of what I was alluding to before, which was recognizing that who you get into bed with is sometimes more important than what you're investing in, right? Mm. And we early in the early days, you kind of get excited by a product or a concept, you have stars in your eyes, and then all of the other red flags that pop up, you excuse, right? You mm. say, "Ah, it's not we can deal with it." Like making a bad dating choice. <laughs> 100%. You always want to justify it to yourself. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's not as bad as I think it is. And then it right. ends up being worse, right? <laughs> so we have made those those mistakes where um, the product was shiny and exciting and sexy and it lured us in. 
early on. Um, and then the people behind it were just kind of not as exciting. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, there's the heartache and the headache that goes with that is just tremendous. Um, there's just a lot of politics that goes into um, to running a business, being an investor, being on the board. There are a lot of personalities that come into play. Sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's, um, you know, threats of lawsuits. <laughs> there's all <laughs> kinds of – sometimes there are lawsuits, you know. Um, so having to navigate that is really important to figure out um, – my team and I have have become very adept in knowing when to play good cop, bad cop, and who, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, there's not always an alignment in terms of the entrepreneur and the investors or the board members on the best direction to go. Sure. I'm sure that happens more often than people even think because uh, especially a first-time entrepreneur, they always have stars in their eyes and they think they know better on, on all fronts. And if they actually did, then they probably wouldn't need your money in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, look, it's almost across the board. I mean, I totally. I love what I do. I love the entrepreneurs that, um, you know, that we have in our portfolio. We've developed amazing relationships. We have um, beautiful things that are in the works. And I think that it's, you know, there's, it's all, only on, on the up and up. But Mm -hmm. there have been many times, for sure, that first-time entrepreneurs are like, well, I know, right? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Mm -hmm." (laughs) trust the people around you. Trust your advisors, your board members, the experienced investors, the experienced operators. Don't think that you just know everything. Open your ears and your eyes to the people who are coming and offering their wisdom to you. It matters, right? I love that. That's like a mic drop moment. We're going to take another <laughs> quick break. And uh, when we come back, I want to get a little bit more personal with you and talk about okay. your, your life and all those good things. So stay tuned. All right, guys, sitting and chatting with my friend, Sabrina Mirage Naeem, founder and principal of Echo Capital Group. Uh, you had this amazing mic drop moment right before the um, the break where you were talking about how entrepreneurs really just need to show up and listen and how it can be very challenging for first-time entrepreneurs. Um, And now I want to pivot and focus a little bit on some weird and wacky questions I always like to ask uh, my guests. And um, let's see, where do I want to start? So here's something that I think lets us into your head as an entrepreneur, because the truth is while you invest in entrepreneurs, you yourself are also an entrepreneur. So I love to get inside your head. And my first question is, what is your favorite word and why? And this could be something that typically comes up, you know, in conversation. This could be just whatever comes to mind today. I would love to hear what word excites you. Mm, I like that question. (laughs) Uh, I would say one of my favoritos is juxtaposition. (laughs) Um, I really, I like when two conflicting things come together and show different perspectives, different sides, but work well together. Um, Mm. I I like that in art. I like that in business. I like that, you know, in a lot of different things. So I would say juxtaposition. Good one. We haven't had that one before. Uh, we've had quite a few curse words. We've had quite a few kind of really boring ones, but I love that one. Well, if um, you asked me what my favorite curse word was, then that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. 
<laughs> yes. Again, you and I have had many truck driver potty mouth rosé conversations. <laughs> um, <laughs> my next question is, what is the one thing that you could not live without during COVID? Oh, I would say that rosé, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> why we're friends, Sabrina, because I always say cocktails. And other people are like, my family, my dog's like, yeah, duck. No, for me, yeah. It's, Love it's a good cocktail. Love them. <laughs> but let me tell you, I have two little kids and a dog and a husband, and I don't think any of them would have survived COVID if I didn't have that rosé. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, well, you answered my last question, which was favorite drink of choice, which I already know from you. Um, so let's go back to a little bit more business conversation. Actually, can you share with us uh, some of your portfolio companies? Let's give them some shout outs because you have some amazing brands doing some incredible things like partnerships with JLo and A-Rod and like all of these insane brands that are just blowing up right now. So let's give them some love. Yeah. So you just mentioned... Um Kitu Super Coffee, which is just blowing up. And I would say the team is golden and uh, such a good example of how the team can take a good product all the way. Um, we also not have- bad to look at either. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> three brothers for, for those of you who haven't seen Kitu, follow them on Instagram. They have a, an amazing e-commerce platform and they're three brothers who are all under 30 at this point, right? They're just young and gorgeous and um, so brilliant and so lovely as well. Like that's the other thing that struck me when I met them was that they were just really good humans, I felt. Yes, absolutely. And they also invest so much time and energy into into making sure that their team is the best that they can possibly be. Um, and so that's a really important um, differentiator for them. Mm. Uh, we also have Ritual, which is the um, straight-to-your-door multivitamins, prenatals. They also have a new men's vitamin, and they're just excellent and also a very good team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, their marketing is insane. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we have Good Day Chocolate, which is those little functional chocolates that you'll find usually at the checkout counter of Whole Foods or different places. They have sleep. They have calm. Um, they have energy. They're doing really well. Um, very, especially now, we all need a little calm. <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. And, um, and they're delicious. I remember you actually, you gave those to us for gift for some swag bags for one of our events. And I remember before the event, I took a couple of the chocolates and I was on fire that night. I mean, they it's you don't think in these little tiny packages that so much is going, like the efficacy of it is insane. I was just blown away. My team was like, are you okay? Did you yeah. drink like 14 Red Bulls? And I just <laughs> taken like one or two chocolates. It's, it's another amazing product. Yes. Yeah. Really good one. Um, Safe Catch Tuna, which, you know, again, the the team, the strategy, the positioning. I mean, it's a canned tuna company, yes. However, it's the lowest mercury. It's guaranteed the lowest mercury tuna on the market. Um, you know, really interesting the way that they use their intellectual property and their new technology in order to be able to um, individually test every single fish that they use instead wow. of what a lot of other companies do, which is batch testing. So you get huh. one fish that maybe has low mercury, but you have no idea about the rest of them. They all kind of are different. So that's a big one as well. Um, Beanfields, the the great chip and crackling company. Um, I love that. I mean, the nacho, the pico de gallo, the, their flavors are just amazing. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I can go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, you've been doing it a while, um, but those are definitely some of my favorites in your portfolio as well. And, and they're just crushing it right now. Thanks in part to obviously great jockeys, great horses, but also great investors like you who really show up and, and give a shit about who you're working with. It's um, it's funny. We have these conversations with quite a few people in the financial world and the VCPE world. And um, everyone talks about smart money and dumb money. And it's uh, it's clear that your money is very, very smart money. And you don't um, take on lightly any one of those brands, which I think is really remarkable. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And we we pride ourselves in being smart money as well. So I would like to end with kind of your projections on the future. Millennials have been so uh, focused on brands that are good for you and are good for the world around us. Gen Z is a bit of a different animal and you're going to have to start you know, marketing towards them. And I'm sure there's going to be a, a whole new line of CPG brands within that space. Any thoughts on what that market's going to look like? Yeah, it's really interesting because given one generation, you know, apart, they they do act very different. Their needs are very different. It's important to acknowledge, you know, how to position and communicate to them. Um, there's there are some questions about brand loyalty versus um, brand efficacy. Uh, there's questions about, you know, how how to use your dollars in order to um, help with social impact environment, but ensuring that it's a real impact versus kind of a disingenuous, like, hey, we give marketing money for tool. Yeah, it's right, yeah. exactly. Um, you know, there are some questions about what types of ingredients or types of products uh, Gen Z will really care about. And I think those those things are still, they remain to be seen given Gen Z is a relatively young consumer still, but it's starting to bubble up in a way that people are really paying attention. And, um, you know, it's, we are having to pivot whenever, um, whenever we see new consumers coming to the market and ensuring that we're offering what those consumers really want and need and what they're asking for. So it's a time now to pay attention. I love it. Uh, well, we are just about out of time. Before we wrap up, can you just let people know how to get in touch with you or follow uh, Echo Capital Group and the brands that you support? Yeah, our website is echocapital.com. Feel free to drop us a line, check out our portfolio. Um, you know, really amazing products and amazing companies on there doing great things. So check it out. Let us know what you're up to. Let us know, um, you know what you think. We're always around. We're always listening. Yes. And you actually respond to every single email, which is amazing. Like You personally understand that it takes a lot for an entrepreneur to reach out. And so your responsiveness to them, I think, is, is really like better than anyone that I've seen in this space. And I'm not just saying that because I'm biased and I'm your friend, but <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really do think that what you do within your category is quite remarkable. Um, so with that, any final words of wisdom for your industry, for the world around us, anything you want to close with? You know, what I'll say is for for the entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs who may be listening, it is the hardest thing you can possibly do. If you're thinking about starting a company just because it sounds like fun, think again, <laughs> you know, and if, you're, and if you're in it and you're in the trenches and you're working your way through and it feels impossible, keep going because it is... Um, you know, it, it is on the backs of entrepreneurs that the large industries are booming and changing and it 
all starts with with one. I love it. Well, Sabrina, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. It's always a pleasure. You and I are going to have to have drinks very soon when we're out of this stupid pandemic. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And in the meantime, stay tuned for more Elevate Your Brand coming up next. 